the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sadly, in our day and age, many want to see sin as just mere slights, goofs, oopses. As we'll see today, sin is horrible, and it is horrifying. Join us for Abounding Grace. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner online at reformedheritage.org. Welcome to our program. Today we continue our journey through Romans. We're in chapter 7 looking at verses 13 through 25 in a message simply called The Horrors of Sin. Sadly, in our day and age and in our culture, we minimize just how horrible sin really is. If we doubt just how horrible that sin is, we need only look once again to the cross of Christ to get a glimpse as to just how bad, how horrible sin really is. The Horrors of Sin, Romans 7, verses 13 through 25. Here's Pastor Gary on today's program. I've actually always been, always taken great encouragement from this passage of Scripture to see a godly man speaking very honestly about his struggles with sin. Too often today, we just don't hear much about the terrible reality of sin in the believer's life. Casual disciples and very smooth preachers would have us believe a few principles, a few changes, and everything will be well with us. And all our problems will be cured. I think this is sin's first deception. Sin is no big deal. Don't get too uptight about sin. But this is where sin's deception wrecks havoc upon us right at the very beginning. Because even believers pretend everything is well with me. Sin's not troubling me. I'm doing very well. Well, Paul didn't think this way, and he didn't feel this way when he wrote this, as he begins to talk as a believer now. God's grace reigned in his life, but yet he still felt within himself this drag like an anchor on his life. This principle of sin fighting against the grace of God that he enjoyed in Christ. He wanted to please God. But sin was always pushing back. But here is the important thing to remember. He was no longer a slave to it. A slave sins because he cannot do otherwise. And a slave doesn't have the will or the desire to be free, to overcome his sin. But notice here, as we have read, that even when sinning, Paul was deeply conscious of his hatred of the very sins that he was committing. He loved God's law. He wanted to obey 
God's law. He wanted to be set free completely from the presence of sin. His new man in Christ was not a willing participant in his sin. But the horrors were there. They were not yet fully eradicated from him. But it was not him. The new man in Christ hated sin, fought against sin, and cried out for mercy. This is the realism that we need. The honesty. Why? Well, first of all, if we are honest about how much we struggle with sin, we will be able to be a lot more transparent with God and with one another. And as James says, we are to confess our faults. Do we talk like Paul even to our spouse? Or do we pretend, no, I'm good. I've got everything under control. Then you must be better than Paul was. Because here was a godly man who was very honest about the struggles in his life. And that is why James says we are to confess our faults one to another. Pray for one another so that we may be healed. Then, of course, if we have this realism, we're also delivered from doubt and despair when we do sin. I wonder if any here felt like I have before. When you go through a season of real lowness, dealing with sin in your life, and you conclude, I must not know the Lord. You know, the presence of sin in us does not in any way nullify or diminish the glory of Christ. Not in any way. You are not a believer because you are perfect. Of course, our perfection is defined by our own preferences, but we are not believers because we are done struggling. As a matter of fact, Paul says the struggle, even if it is long and bitter, is proof that I am not a slave to it, that I am fighting against the chains that Jesus has definitively broken, but yet some of their links are still rattling in our life. And of course, when we face this passage honestly, we will love the Savior more because we only have one deliverer. We cannot save ourselves. There is nothing you can do about the sin in your life. Nothing. There is nothing you can do about the sin in your spouse. There is nothing you can do about the sins in your children's lives. Nothing. There is only one captain, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So he must come to us and set up his regime and his rule of righteousness in us. He must come to us. So when you feel this battle against sin within you, Don't sit there and say, well, I'll just try to do better. I'll just try to pretend more carefully. No, I need to run to Jesus Christ because he is my only cleansing and he is my only righteousness before almighty God, as Paul concludes at the end of chapter 7. 
Notice in verse 13 how horrible sin is. Paul calls it exceeding sinfulness. How can it be, he asks, that such a good thing as God's law can work death in us? Well, remember, we saw in the previous set of verses last week that when our sin is confronted by God's law, it stirs up more sin. Paul again here recoils. He's, he's shocked by the thought that God's good, holy, just law would be working itself death. And there is another dynamic at work here also. Sin is aroused by the light of God's law. Remember, thou shalt not covet. And that inward looking required by God's law. And how God's law is like a candle that searches the innermost belly. When sin is confronted with God's law, no. When sin is confronted with God's do this, it perpetuates even more horrors than it did before. It is sin that works death in us. Our corruption, beloved, is so deep when our that, our, that when our sinfulness is confronted by God's law, it's like a boiling volcano. It just spews up all of its filth. So our sinfulness not only uses God's good law to work death in us, but also its opposition to the good is intensified. Have you ever been dealing with a sin in your life and the more you try to overcome it, the fiercer you fell back? Have you ever been dealing with an older child and the more you confronted his sin, the more rebellion there was? And yet you were thinking, why not just go along? Why not just submit? Well, that is not sin's way. When sin, unless God's grace comes to us and subdues us, when sin is met by God's no, you can't live like this. You can't think like this. You can't relate to your wife like this. When sin is met with the light of God's word, it resists. It is furious. It spews. And it even uses God's good law to bring forth more filth in us and more death. So it is man. It is our sin that makes us so sinful. And responds to God's law so horribly. Now this is one of the purposes for why God gave the law, is it not? It is to expose, to reveal the depths of our corruption. Is it just so we will feel bad about ourselves? No, it is so we will run to Jesus Christ. And by the way. You really do not feel badly about your sins if you do not run to Jesus. We'll see throughout, and I'll go ahead and share this for now. A little bit of remorse, that is not repentance. Feeling twinges of guilt because you have done something wrong, that is not necessarily something commendable. We only feel truly horror-stricken over our sins if when we are confronted with them, we run to Jesus, 
confess those sins, plead his blood, look to his righteousness, and depend fully upon him. But just feeling bad, like I I really need to do better, that doesn't do it. There are a lot of people in hell right now who had many experiences like this in their life. Well, I'll do better. I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to stop doing this. Did their remorse ever lead them to run to the cleansing fountain, which is the blood of the Lamb of God shed for us on the cross? No, or else they wouldn't be thinking, I can do it. So be careful. When we see how exceedingly sinful sin is, maybe you read and identify with, yeah, you know, when I'm told that I'm supposed to love my wife like Christ loves the church or I'm supposed to submit to my husband, there's a recoil in me. I feel it. Be careful. Because sin, unless we seek Jesus, and unless we seek God's grace, sin will take hold of God's law, it will thrust it away, and use that good, precious, and just gift that God gives us to actually make us more hardened than we were before. You know, the most hardened enemies of Christ and the gospel are not garden-variety unbelievers. The most flagrant, perverse, and sensuous are those who have heard some of the truth, and because it did not subdue them, made them angrier against God and His Word. So be careful. Only Jesus can crush this true demon and heal us from it. Now he affirms this in verse 14 where he says, God's law is perfect and is completely opposed to the filth of my flesh. The law is spiritual. What does that mean about the spirit? Well, God is spirit and his law is spiritual, meaning the law partakes of the intrinsic goodness, holiness, and perfection of God, its author. But notice Paul confesses himself here to be carnal, sold under sin. Now, the language here is strong. So is Paul talking about his pre-conversion or post-conversion life? Well, by carnal there, or fleshly, this is not the same thing as being in the flesh. He's going to say in the next chapter that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. To be carnal here means what all believers feel at one time or another in their lives, sometimes for long periods of time, that sin is still influencing me. Our fleshliness, our fallenness, our corruption is still there. We, we haven't shaken off its influences. Does sin annoy you? Does it harass you? Does it tempt, hinder, restrain, foil your efforts to please and glorify God? Well, that's what Paul is talking about here. By flesh or carnal. Paul means everything that is in us that is opposed to God's holiness until we are made new by God's spirit. But notice here. When he says sold under sin, 
This is a very important little phrase that I think helps us understand what Paul is talking about. It's not to be a willing servant of sin, like the unbeliever who doesn't know any better and doesn't want to even do any better. The sinner loves his sin. This is sin looked at as a foreign power. It is harassing us. It is something we really don't want to give into, as he says throughout this passage of Scripture. But it is there as a foreign force in our lives that we have to deal with. But notice here, Paul says, I've been changed. I I know my true condition. I, I am carnal. But God's law is good. The fault of sin has nothing to do with God's law. It is me. Now, this is even made more clear in verses 15 and 16. Paul is speaking of himself as regenerate, although not yet a perfected man. Have you ever felt the inner tension within yourself? Well, you will if you're a believer. You'll feel this contradiction, this division, this strife within yourself. Sin obstinately refuses to just go away and hide. It leads us to thoughts and words and deeds that are not what we truly desire. Notice what he says in verse 15. For that which I do, I allow not. The exact Greek here means I know not. I don't even understand why it is that I sometimes live like this, think like this, struggle like this. Why am I like this? What is this monster within me that I would do the very thing that I hate? Why am I like this? You see, this isn't true of the unbeliever. He does what he loves when he sins. That is his nature for the new man in Christ. We want to please God. We want to obey God. But we find a lot of weakness within ourselves. Now, please understand, as I said a moment ago, an unbeliever may have some remorse over his sin, but that is not repentance. He may have some twinges of conscience of regret for his actions, but there is no sincere desire to please God. There may be Dread of judgment, but there's no hope of mercy. Think of this. Who are we? I like what Calvin said. He said, at times, even godly men are dragged down by the relics of their flesh. It's like the crucified old man of sin lying there in the grave. But he still reaches up with his last lingering breath and he wants to drag us back down even though we have been definitively raised in the Lord Jesus Christ. So here is the answer then to the question that believers at times ask with weeping perplexity, feeling overwhelmed. Why can I not do what I know to be right? What is wrong with me? By the way, isn't it interesting here that there's so much going on in the world and We would probably be a lot more comfortable this morning and squirm a lot less if we spent our time today talking about others, what's wrong with others. But it's not surprising what is wrong with others. 
if you compare it with Scripture. There's no mystery there. The confusion is, what's wrong with me? Why am I struggling? Why did Paul struggle so much with sin? And here's a very simple answer. Filth clings to us like mold and dust. Now, God could enable us to just throw it off in an instant. No more sin, no more struggles. But will we then ever learn how horrible sin really is? Would we ever cry out to Jesus Christ, the only deliverer to come and save us? Would we ever trust God's mercy alone? Not my willpower, not my resolve, not my library, not my feelings, but mercy. That is what I'm going to stand and sing about when I stand before God. Not the influences on my life, not my theological traditions, but just the mercy of my God to this wretched sinner. God teaches us that through these things. We would never cry to him if our battles were easily won and soon over. But at the same time, the child of God can never use this indwelling sin as an excuse. By the way, this is the way you can distinguish a hypocrite from a disciple. And a true believer, though there is much sin in him, how does he respond to it? He hates it. He cries about it to the Lord. He begs for mercy. He asks for release. And he holds fast to the cross of Christ as the only cleansing. And Jesus' obedience as his only righteousness. The hypocrite, he's certainly not like this. He says something like this. Oh, well, I'm a sinner. Everybody's a sinner too. And I'm not as bad as some and even better than most. So what is it with us, with you? How do you deal with sin? How do you respond to the lingering sin in your life? I know it's painful. There's nothing glamorous about getting on your face and crying out to God for mercy. No one's going to write a book about it. No one really wants to watch a movie of you bawling your eyes out and saying, God, please deliver me from this body of death. But that is what sin works. That's the way God's grace works in the true child of God. A sincere hatred of sin that leads him to bemoan his fallenness, his corruption, and run to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because obviously, as verses 16 through 18 go on to say, this smug spirit, well, I'm just a sinner. And my husband's a lot worse than I am. And until he gets better, I'm not going to change. Or I'm a lot better than she is anyway, so why do I need to become any better? Now, notice here in these verses, Paul never forgets God's holiness for an instant in all of this. His concern here is how do our struggles reflect, God, reflect on God's law and his character? He says that, when we do, in verse 16, the things we don't want to do, we consent that the law is good. That's kind of a strange thing to say, right? 
by the way, consent here can also be used for confession or I confess. So what does that mean? Well, when I condemn myself for my sins, which we do when we ask for forgiveness, Lord, I've sinned against you. What are you saying? We are saying, Father, everything that you have asked of me is good. I've failed. Your law is perfect. There's nothing wrong with anything you have ever said. All the fault is mine. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408 Eight six six five six zero seven. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.